Thanks, Judy. Sorry, let me just set that up. Uh, morning, everyone. Uh, nice to see you. My name's Sam, if you don't know me, uh, one of the pastors here. Uh, I've, uh, we're going through Ecclesiastes at the moment, uh, as most of you will know, and I've heard more than a few people say uh, that since we've started looking at Ecclesiastes, words to the effect of this, uh, there is something really comforting about this really depressing book. <laughs> It seems it's okay if my life feels depressing and hard and chaotic and out of control. It's meant to be. In fact, I can embrace it. Uh, We live, don't we, in a life that's striving after comfort, happiness, but it often doesn't come. Uh, We have joy for a time, as we saw, I think, in chapter 2, but grief comes around the next corner. How liberating to be freed from this constant pursuit uh, that life is all about achievements and happiness and comfort and success, and to actually accept, as the teacher of Ecclesiastes has been showing us, there is a a God-ordained design that is cyclical and frustrating in our present world. And all uh, all we're left with is wanting something else. There's got to be something else. There's got to be meaning somewhere. And there is, uh, as we've concluded a couple of times already. Uh, it's when we humble ourselves before an almighty God. Uh, on the screen is the verse from the very end of Ecclesiastes. Uh, it's the conclusion to the whole book, uh, chapter 12, verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. It's a very different message to the one our world portrays and the one we usually listen to. Uh, What does fearing God and keeping his commands look like, though? Uh, Well, that's a a question, actually. uh, Jesus is asked a couple of times in the New Testament. Again on the screen, uh, Matthew 22, verse 35, uh, it says this. uh, One of them, an expert of the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? How do I fear God and keep his commands? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, loving God, of course, we know uh, if we've uh, read our New Testaments or, or know Christians or we are one, uh, is to repent of our sin, to believe uh, in Jesus as our only savior, to accept that he is our only way. He's paid the price for our sin. And so we submit ourselves to his reign, his lordship in our lives. Uh, that's loving God. Loving others, sometimes much more difficult. And that is the subject of chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes, I think. So uh, let me pray as we dig into this chapter, thinking about loving others before ourselves. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray now as we think uh, about this chapter in uh, Ecclesiastes, that you'd speak to us by your spirit. If we don't know you, we pray that you would show us that you are the better way. And for those of us that do, we pray that we would uh, seek to live a better way, more like Christ, but knowing it is all achieved in him. We pray all this for your glory. Amen. Amen. 
Uh, to help us uh, in this chapter, the teacher has given us three stereotypical types of people uh, to look at as we go through. The first one, uh, the first stereotype, is oppressors. Uh, and he concludes that we'd be better off dead than seeing the oppression in the world. Have a look at verses 1 and 2 of Ecclesiastes 4. Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead, who had already died, are happier than the living, who are still alive. Uh, I, I think we probably think we're fairly sheltered from uh, oppression or significant oppression in the UK. Uh, and many times and in many ways that is true. Uh, but I wonder if you know that uh, a 2016 survey, uh, the Global Slavery Survey, concluded that 136,000 people in the UK are in some form of modern-day slavery. That's actually one in every 500 people in the UK. Uh, whether that's forced labour, forced sexual exploits, forced marriage, child labour. Uh, over 35% of our clothing imports in the UK are likely from modern slavery factories around the world. That's eight, an £8 billion uh, issue every year. There's another £7 billion of IT and tech that all comes from slavery situations. Uh, oppression is everywhere. That's what the uh, teacher in Ecclesiastes is telling us. Perhaps we're just better at hiding it or turning a blind eye in the UK. Uh, and oppression in the Old Testament uh, is not just slavery and violence, but more simply to do with someone's position or opportunities in life that have an advantage over others. Or, yeah. So, for example, uh, the simple advancement of one person at the expense of an, another who cannot influence that situation is a form of oppression. Uh, so ingrained, I think, in our sort of Western worldview is the idea of this opportunity of unlimited growth and achievement that we strive for at any cost. And perhaps we're negligent of those who lose out when we win. Uh, unlike our Western worldview, many uh, traditional worldviews hold a, what's called a theory of limited good. Uh, that's the idea where there isn't this endless supply of good in the world. So if one individual within a community uh, chooses to take some of that good for themselves, through whether, whether that's through development or achievement or success, they're not actually celebrated as they would be in our culture. They're, they're deemed to be unkind and anti-community. Uh, they're taking away from others. Now, we might be thinking, well, that's crazy. Surely, you know, you're holding back the community if you stop uh, entrepreneurial thinking and ideas. But perhaps we're both wrong, says Ecclesiastes. Perhaps there's aspects where achievement and development is good for all, and there's aspects where achievement and development is very bad for some who miss out. Uh, Ecclesiastes is good at raising questions that we're going to struggle to answer. His point is oppression is everywhere and unavoidable and will be for all time under the sun. Oppression is real. It is part of our lives. Some lose, some win, some oppress, some suffer. Which are you? Which am I? Which do we aim to be? 
uh, I reckon we plan for our children uh, at school that they'll grow up to do well, to, to, do, to, be, uh, to achieve in life. What does that even mean? Uh, it's probably a good ambition in, in many ways, but have we helped them consider how they're going to take others with them or are they just going to be the winners, the oppressors, at the cost and benefit of others? Ultimately, we all tend to live for ourselves, don't we? For our own gain, and not for others. And when we observe really terrible oppression around our world, in our own communities, uh, the teacher here considers that we'd, uh, we'd not only be better off dead than alive when we see the terrible evils of our world, that in fact we'd even be better off having never been born at all. Uh, verses 2 and 3 again. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who had never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. Perhaps we're very naive in the UK to think that our comfortable 20th century uh, lives are free from oppression. Our comfort comes at an ex the expense of others. Uh, perhaps as a, a, a small but significant example might be the way the UK wheeled and dealed its way into getting our first, second and third and sometimes fourth uh, vaccine boosters for COVID before most of the world even saw their first one. And what did we think of our government for doing it? Well done, thank you. You saved us. We are the best. But for the oppressed, well, they might, be, they might have been better off never living at all than living with the injustice and the oppression that exists in our world. Uh, the great prophet Jeremiah uh, says this when he faces great uh, and persistent oppression. Jeremiah 20:18. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? Perhaps feelings of wishing we hadn't been born are, are not as strange or as unhinged as we often think they are when we perhaps have them in our own circumstances. It's an honest reflection of the evil world that we live in, the world we often take part in ourselves. Uh, where does all this uh, striving and oppression come from? Uh, we're told that in verse 4. Have a look. Uh, and I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Uh, envy is sort of the driving force behind all of this. Uh, they have, so, so should I. That's fair, isn't it? Uh, they're doing well, so I'm going to stop at nothing, either to stop them or to get more myself. I want to be better than what I see around me. It's envy. It's sort of rooted in pride and greed. What a miserable world we live in when that is what we live for. So is there a better way? Uh, it's going to exist whatever happens. Is there a better way for us to try and live in all of this? Well, there is a better way. Better than oppression is one handful with tranquility. One handful with tranquility. Have a look at verse 6. It's a great verse. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. So it's a beautiful verse, isn't it? It's a, it's a perfect illustration. We all strive for two handfuls when one is enough. 
one handful of rice, one handful of money, one handful of pleasure, whatever it is, we can be satisfied with one handful rather than enviously pursuing two. I just need another one. And even if others miss out. So we're to let go, if you like, of the dream of two handfuls at the expense of others and be content and satisfied with the normal life we're given by God, one handful. To enjoy and to be content with what he has for us. It's a complete twisting of how our world thinks. Rather than loving ourselves, we love others as ourselves. So that's the first area that the teacher explores oppression. The second stereotype he explores is Scrooge. And he calls it a miserable business, verses 7 to 12. Have a look at verse 7 now. Again, so new subject. I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a a miserable business. Uh, This is the Scrooge of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, isn't it? Solidly working, all on his own, just for more and more and more No one to share it with, nothing to enjoy. Perhaps we all know someone a bit like that. Uh, It's all about work. No time for family if they have family. No time for anyone else. No time to even enjoy what they've earned and gained in the world. Of course, the question we don't want to ask if we're a bit like that. Again, I wonder what we're encouraging our children to be uh, when they grow up. Perhaps we prioritise academic and career achievements as the most important goal. This is what it's all about. Dream big. The world's your oyster. The reality is those things can be a very lonely life, says Ecclesiastes. Uh, The Bible says, of course, work hard, study hard, but not for your own gain and achievement, but for God. And that means for others. Learning to love others before yourself is more important than the best career you can get. That sounds like a strange thing to say, but it shouldn't be, should it? It's a miserable business to be a Scrooge. And yet even that fear doesn't put many of us off that advancement. It's a miserable business. Uh, Even the Scrooge, uh, the teacher observes here, realises at some point, I'm not even enjoying what I've gained I mean, literally, what's the point? Working solidly for greatness and wealth and power and recognition and success, ultimately, the Scrooge will die with nothing. We've seen that repeatedly through Ecclesiastes. Living for work and success is a miserable business. So is there a better way? There is a better than a Scrooge way, and it's called fellowship or loving others. Have a look at verse 9. Here's the solution or the, not the solution, but the better way. Uh, verse 9. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. That doesn't happen for the Scrooge. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? 
Uh, the difference is stark, isn't it? You've got Scrooge seeking self-gain uh, and the alternative of seeking the gain uh, of others next, alongside one another. A life lived for fellowship, loving others before ourselves, is better by far. Uh, you might not be as rich, but you'll have friends and family and a church community that you belong to. And when you love others in fellowship, then when oppression and, and uh, adversity comes, which it will come, says the teacher, others will pick you up. You won't be left alone. Uh, when you're working hard at the harvest uh, and it's cold at night, you'll, you'll be warm because you're working alongside others for the benefit of others. Uh, life is not a self-indulgent Scrooge-like endeavour. God has designed it to be better in fellowship, loving others before ourselves. In effect, if one is a miserable business, then two is a wonderful thing to have. And so the conclusion is obvious, verse 12. Though one may be overpowered, so one's miserable, two can defend themselves, great news, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I think I showed you four fingers, so I <laughs> struggled at school. We are here for each other in life, not for ourselves. Two is good, three is better, and so on and so forth. Uh, the New Testament, uh, after the life and death of Jesus, uh, Ecclesiastes written in the Old, uh, Jesus who died to make us brothers and sisters in Christ, tells us that he came to unite us as one family. That is a, a cord of many strands. I wonder how much we think about living life for our church family rather than for ourselves. But the reward is security, Support, comfort, friendship. It may not be wealth or achievement, but that's a miserable business. A family that holds us to what is important. Trusting in Jesus alone for life eternal. Living a life loving others before ourselves. Avoiding the traps of the world around us. Uh, the Scrooge mentality could look like a number of things for us. Um, I wonder if it's, uh, we're desperate for early retirement. So that's all we're working for. Get rid of everything else. We're chasing a new job endlessly. That, that'll be the solution. Or, or work that just benefits us and not even our spouse, let alone the wider community we live in. But there is a better way. A way that loves others before ourselves. A way of fellowship, not a Scrooge. So there's our first two stereotypes. The final one, uh, a bit shorter, uh, is arrogant leaders detested by their people. Have a look at verse 13. Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. The youth may have come from prison to the kingship or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth the king's successor. It is ironic, isn't it, that we all tend to want power. That's sort of what we're after, to, to be our own kings or queens in whatever realm we are in. But ultimately, deep down, we know that it is a wise person who is better than a powerful person. Uh, the king in this, uh, this passage may be old, by which he means uh, wise. Normally, if you're old, you gain wisdom. 
So being an old king should be a very good thing. But he's arrogant. He's stopped listening. He's not wise. And an arrogant leader is detested by his people, he says. Uh, We've seen it repeatedly uh, throughout our world, even amongst our evangelical church leaders of our current time. How much more we would prefer a young, wise person than an arrogant uh, king. Even a young person out of prison, if they're willing to show uh, that they're going to listen and learn, that, that is wisdom and preferable to arrogance and power. An arrogant know-it-all, however old they are, ironically is a fool, says the teacher. So what's better than an arrogant leader? We've already said it, it's a wise youth. Uh, Wise leadership is not arrogant or self-advancing or or power-hungry, but a person who listens to and loves others before themselves. It's funny that the things that we strive for at work or at home, it's control, authority, respect, effectively power to do as we choose. When it's a leader who listens humbly, who values others, who loves others before themselves, that God calls for. That is the better way. So, uh, our conclusion. Uh, When I... uh, Read through all this and thought about it and prepared it. I, I got to the end and I thought, well, we've got a problem, haven't we? Because I'm not very often that better way. Uh, we look around at our lives and the world, at us, and even though we see there's a better way laid out by the teacher, here's my reflections on life, it still all ends up, in a sense, being meaningless. Not least because, even for want of trying, our lives still involve oppression and Scrooge-like gain and envy and leading arrogantly. I actually think that's the point he reaches uh, right at the end, verse 16, uh, when he points out, as a wise uh, young person comes to power, the successor, uh, the one that everyone loves and follows, what happens? Verse 16, there was no end to all the people who were before them, so lots of people following the, the king and the successor, but those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless of chasing after the wind. Even if you get it right, it's not going to last long. Even those who seek to live in fear of God in accordance with his commands, as the end of the conclusion of Ecclesiastes tells us to do, even if we strive to love God and love others, we're still left wanting because we can't achieve it perfectly. But fortunately, uh, as the youth learnt on Friday night, if uh, your kids are there, you can ask if they were listening when you get home. Uh, our salvation doesn't rely on what we do or achieve, but it relies on the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus. You see, that better way, while it's right to live that way and strive after it, we can't do it, but Jesus can and did. He, he was the wise youth who lived for his people perfectly. He was the one oppressed, not the oppressor. He barely took one handful, let alone two, at the expense of others. He was the one who lived for fellowship, who lived out of love for others before himself, and never like a Scrooge. 
His life ended in death that paid the price for all of our oppression and our sinfulness and our arrogance. So now, rather than seeking to live life for ourselves, which is meaningless, we live in love of God and love of others because Jesus has done it for us. And when we fail, we remember that that is why life is like it is. Let me say that again. When we fail, we remember that that is why life is like it is. Life is like that to keep us humble, to keep us constantly turning back to the only person, the Lord Jesus, who does all of this perfectly for us. The frustrations, the cyclical nature, our failings, they all lead us to be humble before God, to kneel at the feet of Jesus, to ask for his mercy. And if we've repented and believed in Jesus, then we already have it all in him. Uh, Jesus himself summarizes this chapter of Ecclesiastes 4, I think, in chapter 12 of Luke. Uh, it's on the, on the screen. Uh, this is Jesus' words, Luke 12, 15 to 21. Then Jesus said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Sound like a Scrooge. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, uh, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Love God and love others. Because all else is meaningless. Judgment awaits us unless we come to Jesus. He is our only hope. Repent and believe and give it all back to God and love others before ourselves. Let me pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, please forgive us for being that certain rich person who built bigger barns, always seeking more possessions, more abundance, more for ourselves and neglecting our church fellowship, those in need, those who are oppressed. Forgive us for being arrogant. Forgive us for being Scrooges. Forgive us for the oppression we're involved in. Help us to live that better way. But help us to do that by recognizing that we need to come before you in humility and repentance. That we need the life of Jesus to speak for us when we face you. Thank you that we have a sure and certain hope that Jesus has done it all. And may with him before us, we strive to live like him. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.